It's November 1928 in Philadelphia, and a box arrives at the doors of a science museum called the Franklin Institute. It's a donation from the estate of a wealthy local lawyer. And what they find inside is in a pretty sad state. It's a jumble of gears and metal pieces and levers. There's tattered cloth. The whole thing is really damaged, this broken-down machine. But the machine has a face, the face of a little boy, and little human hands, too, molded to hold a pen. And the people at the Franklin Institute think, what is this thing? Where did it come from? And they fix him up as best as they can. They set up a little pen in his hand, and they wind him up. And as if this lifelike figure could hear their questions, it writes very carefully in French, the automaton of Maillardet. I'm Dylan Thuris, and this is Atlas Obscura, a celebration of the world's strange, incredible, and wondrous places. Today, we are telling you the story of an amazing automaton, a mechanical boy machine made in the days before electronics and computers. It dazzled audiences, but then was lost to history, only to be rediscovered by surprise. That story, after this. If you're looking for a place where the wide open skies and the towering mountains inspire you to find an untapped part of yourself, you might want to take a trip to Wyoming. It's a place where bold, curious spirits forge their own way on all types of adventures. There is no shortage of iconic, expansive landscapes out there. You can discover breathtaking hikes, stunning state parks, authentic Western culture, and other historic sites— along with the tales of famous outlaws like Butch Cassidy and pioneers like Buffalo Bill Cody. The truth lies west. Discover yours at TravelWyoming.com. Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle, because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory-smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider, and also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your crave. Let's begin in 1826. We're at an exhibition hall in London. The show has drawn a big crowd. There are ladies in feathered hats holding their little kids' hands. There's men in silky top hats. There's army officers carrying swords. And they're all turned towards this little boy. He's kneeling at a writing desk on top of a large, ornate chest, jotting down the words of a poem on a page. The crowd leans in eagerly, and the boy pauses. And the head lifts up, and the eyelids widen, and the eyeballs roll up away from the work and gaze out. You could say it's looking at the audience, or he's thinking, you know, looking into his own imagination to think about what he's going to continue writing. This is Andrew Barron. He runs a clock repair shop in Santa Fe, New Mexico. So you might hear some ticking and cuckoo clock sounds while he's talking. 
And he has a very personal connection to this story. But we'll come back to that later. For now, back to the boy. And then this is almost as though it's an aha moment. After a couple seconds, uh, he nods back down and the hand comes back over and, and the eye, you know, the eyelids narrow, the eyeballs roll down to look at the paper again and the hand starts drawing again. The boy has drawn Cupid shooting his bow and arrow, a pagoda in China, a sailing ship, and he writes three poems. At the end, he signs his name, written by the automaton of Maillard Day. Maillard Day is Henri Maillard Day. He's a Swiss watchmaker, but he also has another hobby, trying to recreate life in machinery. He's one of a handful of watchmakers who's also creating automatons, these wind-up machines made of clock parts, and they're often in the form of people or animals, and they help attract audiences and, and drum up business for the watchmakers. Usually, these machines are kind of one-trick ponies. There's a seated lady whose arm moves up and jerkily writes a few sentences, or a clown swinging up and down a ladder. But the automaton made by Maillardet's shop is an absolute quantum leap above the rest. It's very elegant to watch, almost mesmerizing, uh, very human uh, in its moves, not what you would expect of a robot. Adding to this effect is that when the automaton operates, you can't hear its gears turning or its pieces clanking. It doesn't make the kinds of noises you would expect from a machine. Instead, it runs in almost complete silence. Maillardet's automaton traveled from exhibition to exhibition throughout Europe, and it dazzled crowds wherever it went. But then, after a showing in St. Petersburg, Russia, in 1833, the automaton disappeared. What happens afterwards is a little bit sketchy, but it is likely that the automaton was purchased by circus showman P.T. Barnum, like of the Barnum and Bailey Circus, that P.T. Barnum. He probably put it in his museum in Manhattan. It had um, live whales in the basement level in tanks large enough to contain them with water. It had live exhibits. It had human exhibits like a freak show at a carnival. It had all kinds of mechanism and relics and artifacts. Barnum's museum was destroyed by a fire in 1845. And once again, the automaton disappears. In 1908, its fate seemed to be lamented by none other than Harry Houdini himself. In a book he wrote about magic, Houdini describes this wondrous boy machine that could write and draw. And he guessed that the automaton had either been burned with Barnum's museum or was taken back to Europe and, quote, lying in some cellar or loft, moth-eaten and dust-covered, an ignominious end for such ingenious brainwork and handicraft. Houdini wasn't far off. His location was a bit wrong, though. Somehow, Maillard Day's machine ended up in the personal collection of John Penn Brock, a wealthy attorney in Philadelphia. Maybe he'd bought it thinking he'd fix it up, sort of a classically overambitious hobbyist. But then, instead, he let it languish in the attic. And uh, it was Brock's descendants, and this is documented, who donated the automaton you know, more than half a century later to the Franklin Institute in this damaged state. In November 1928, the automaton arrived at the Franklin Institute in a broken little heap. The machinists there fixed it up as best as they could, and in 1932, 
they set it up for a public display, wearing a wig and a dress to hide the fact that the legs were still missing. They'd have one of the security guards there next to the machine, you know, uh, operating it. And some people have said he had a cigar box and he'd put a quarter in the cigar box and he'd have it crank out a drawing for you. It was used almost like a vending machine by the 1960s and 70s. They just didn't understand how important this artifact was. Put a quarter in, get a drawing. Over and over and over for decades. By the mid-1990s, the automaton was in such a bad state that it was unable to write or draw without further damaging itself. And now we're getting to the point in the story where Maillardet's automaton meets the guy you've been hearing tell this story, Andrew Barron with The Clock Shop in Santa Fe. From the time I was a teenager, I've been a person that people take things to that nobody else can fix. In 2005, Andrew was working as a paper engineer on pop-up books. And one day, an author friend said to him, Hey, I know this writer named Brian Selznick, who's working on a novel. It's about a kid named Hugo who finds a broken-down automaton and fixes it up. He wants advice about how the mechanical bits could work. Would you mind giving him a call? The two got in touch, and Andrew learned that this novel was based on a real machine, Maillardet's Automaton, which was sitting in the Franklin Institute in Philadelphia. It really was broken down. Its little head had even come loose and was lying under the desk. Andrew looked at the photos and gave the writer some ideas. And then he went on his own merry way. Fast forward to 2007, and the museum reaches out to Andrew, saying, hey, we actually want to put the automaton on display again. Would you want to try and actually fix this thing? And so here I was in Philadelphia, poised to do in real life what Brian's Hugo had just accomplished in his book. You know, so we, we have a life imitating art, imitating life imitating art thing going on here. For about a week, Andrew spent 10 hours a day with the automaton. He took it apart, he cleaned it, learned how it worked, filled up notebooks with his notes and diagrams. He reattached its little head, thank God. And he was able to get it writing and drawing again without damaging itself. But something was off. There was a brass link in the neck that didn't seem to securely hold any of its pieces together when the head moved. And Andrew just didn't understand it. And then in the middle of the night, he had an epiphany. He'd been staring at that part of the automaton for so long that an image of all the parts seemed to float up in his mind's eye. And he noticed something. And so here I am sitting bolt upright in bed in the dark at four in the morning, looking at this image and thinking, I don't remember that detail, but that would be a game changer. And um, I actually got dressed, walked the you know few blocks to the museum and had the night security let me in and got to see and, and, you know, firsthand that the image I saw in my mind's eye was, was uh, in fact, there. Andrew realized that during one of the times the machine had been repaired, a handful of pieces had actually been reconnected wrong. So he made some changes, and the machine came to life in a whole new way. The head, the eyelids, the left arm moved subtly and elegantly in this eerily lifelike way that they had first moved when the automaton had been unveiled. 
Thanks to Andrew's repairs, the automaton was put back on display at the Franklin Institute in 2007. Back when it was created, the machine wowed audiences with everything it could do, all the drawings and poems that it could sort of store in its memory. Today, when you can download the entirety of Wikipedia to your phone, maybe that's not so special. But what definitely holds up is how beautiful and real this mechanical boy seems. In everything I've seen in robotics and in modern automata, we still aren't for a moment fooled that we're looking at something that's alive. And with modern day's automaton, you do get lulled, you do get entranced. And even though the machine has been repaired and is in working order, Andrew says it, it still may have been even more lifelike back in its original day, and that he is still learning new things about how it works and what it can do. It still has a lot to teach us. It still has stories to tell and secrets to reveal all these years later. Maillard Day's Automaton is in the collection of the Franklin Institute in Philadelphia. The novel we mentioned is by Brian Selznick. It's called The Invention of Hugo Cabret. It is absolutely fantastic. Scorsese made it into a movie, but I think the book is the best version. So good. Uh, And if you have any clocks or precious 200-year-old automatons in your attic that need a good fixing, please check out Andrew's shop at alpineclockrepair.com. Our podcast is a co-production of Atlas Obscura and Witness Docs. This episode was produced by Amanda McGowan. The production team includes Doug Baldinger, Chris Naka, Camille Stanley, Willis Ryder-Arnold, Sarah Wyman, Manolo Morales, Baudelaire Seuss, Gianna Palmer, Tracy Samuelson, John Delore, Peter Clowney. Our technical director is Casey Holford. This episode was mixed by Luce Fleming. If you want to learn more, be sure to visit atlasobscura.com. There's a link in our episode description. Our theme and end credit music is by Sam Tindall. I'm Dylan Thuris, wishing you all the wonder in the world. I will see you soon. Witness Docs from Stitcher. The world isn't wide enough for those with an insatiable desire for discovery. The all-new 2024 Lincoln Nautilus Hybrid SUV offers the power and freedom to explore further and deeper than ever before. Intuitive, smart features ensure that you're always connected to the road ahead. Inside, a thoughtfully designed cabin immerses you in a universe that is all your own. The larger-than-life panoramic display spans the entire width of the cabin. It's customizable and interactive. Drivers can even personalize their backgrounds with a series of nature-inspired themes. This vehicle signals the arrival of an exciting new chapter for Lincoln. Discover more about the 2024 Lincoln Nautilus at Lincoln.com. This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun. 
And that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com.